You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to Blair Thornburg, the author of the debut YA release, Who's That Girl? In this episode, we talk about uh, some of the inspiration she had growing up, her involvement in NaNoWriMo and how that uh, played a part in Who's That Girl? We also discuss uh, what she sees as the importance of an MFA program as well as some of the insights she has being an editor at a publishing company. So take a listen. Blair, what book hooked you? The book that hooked me was probably Anastasia Krepnik by Lois Lowry. Okay, and so I know Lois Lowry, but that's one of the books I've never read. So what's that book about? Well, so it's interesting because if you know her books from, you know, The Giver or Number of the Stars, they're very Mm -hmm. serious. They're very smart. They're very philosophical. Um, Anastasia Krupnik is a middle grade book about a girl who I think in the first book, she's 11. And she's just she's also very smart. um, And her parents are kind of eccentric. She has this mother who's a children's book illustrator and her father is a professor of poetry at Harvard. And so they live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and they just sort of have this very... um, uh, bohemian and kind of intellectual existence filtered through this 11 year old girl who's she's smart but she's not like sassy you know and mm-hmm. um she's very kind of matter of fact and uh there's just something really delightful and smart uh about those books uh and i when i found them i just like read the entire series as as soon as i could get them into the library and so when how old were you when you were reading these i was probably like 10 or 11 not not super old but like the right age for those books and um my mom is also a children's book illustrator so i loved that that was what the mom did because uh oh, cool. you know you don't see that a lot in children's books even though uh maybe it's like children's authors don't want to write about other children's book people like they think it's too close to home or something mm-hmm. but um i really enjoyed that and um I also, I reread one of them recently because, you know, I still own all of them. And I was surprised that there's a lot of, um, you know, her dad's a poet and a poetry professor and there's a lot of poetry in it. Like this 11 year old girl is talking about Wordsworth, which, you know, she's, she understands it because the poems aren't that complex, but it's, it didn't occur to me at that age that like, that was kind of sophisticated, but now reading it as a grown up, I'm like, wow, like the fact that the author pulled off getting this in the book without making it seem too like like boring i thought was really mm-hmm. great and so as, since you were the same age as anastasia did you at the time see any of yourself in her oh my gosh yes like um i mean besides the fact that our our moms did the same thing she uh they moved to this crumbling victorian house um which is sort of the the plot of the first book is she doesn't want to move um and that's the kind of house i grew up in so i just love that you know it had a tower bedroom with weird wallpaper and we didn't have a tower but we had a lot of weird wallpaper and uh you know she um there's this great part in the first book in the series where she is doing a poetry unit with her teacher in i guess like fourth or fifth grade and uh you know she writes this poem that's very uh it doesn't rhyme it's got all these fun like onomatopoetic words and it's like a good kind of free verse poem about like creatures in tide pools um and she turns it in and her teacher gives her an f because the assignment was to write like a stupid rhyming poem and so you know the kid in her class who writes one about his dog spot who he's like 
my, I have a dog, his name is Spot. He likes to eat and drink a lot. When I put water in his dish, he laps it up just like a fish. And Anastasia's like, that poem's terrible and fish don't drink water. So she's really mad that this kid gets an A and she fails. And maybe it's because I was like a weird writer kid, but I was like, yes, like that's so not fair when like you don't do the exact assignment, but you do something cool and the teacher is like sticking to the rules. So like it was almost like sort of uh, when you read the Ramona books and you were a kid that kind of misbehaved, but weren't like a troublemaker. You're like, oh, this is so unfair. And I see it on the page. And so you just kind of said that you were this, uh, you were writing even at, at that age. What, what kind of got you in the writing, or was it just something that was kind of sort of with you from the start? You know, I, I mean, I always loved to read. You know, I obviously grew up uh, with a house full of books and children's books, um, and I started writing uh, in first grade. My teacher was uh, Mrs. Pincus, and she let us do a lot of creative writing, and so you know, I could just take as many of those little sheets with the uh, lines on them as you wanted. And it was like, they still had the middle line so that you could learn how to form your letters, um, which I was not super hot at, but like, that wasn't the point. I just wanted to tell a story. Um, But yeah, by the time I was 10 or 11, I mean, you know, I was reading in earnest all the time because we still had SSR as we called it, you know, in school. So um, that was a big part of the day. And then also like, creative writing was still a part of school. I think you get to maybe like high school and creative writing kind of has to compete with, you know, writing essays or like doing college prep stuff and it falls away. But I was always, always writing stories. Um, And I always had teachers that encouraged it. And my parents too were just like, oh, you'll be a writer, which is like so cool because they shouldn't have said that. Like, it's not a great career to go into because it's not uh, financially stable, but they're uh they're just crazy dreamers those kids. You had plenty of supported sounds uh, from your parents obviously and book a house full of books with what your mom did. Um and so that was was there ever an alternative lane for you as far as growing up what else you might want to do? I don't know. I mean, you know, I sort of went through those phases where I was like I'm going to be a baseball player because no one had told me that there were no professional women's baseball leagues. And then I found out and I was like, this sucks. Um, and for a while I was like, I'm going to be a ballerina. And basically all the athletic careers fell away, which is actually part of Anastasia Krupnik too. I'm just remembering like she wanted to be a ballerina and then she wanted to be an ice skater and she was bad at both. And her parents were like, maybe you should do something that doesn't involve your ankles. Um, so yeah, I don't think I ever really considered, I mean, I sort of figured like I'll have to have a day job. Cause you know, you're, even if you're like, eight and you tell people you want to be a writer grown-ups think they're being so funny and they're like oh well don't quit your day job and you like don't know what that means when you're eight uh but it kind of like it makes you a little cynical even at that age you're like oh this is something that's really rewarding but for some reason people don't take seriously uh which was not my immediate family but you know people say stuff to kids so uh not really i mean I did end up studying medieval history in undergrad. uh, So I guess like I could have been a medieval historian, you know, if I'd gone to get my PhD, but uh, I think I would have been writing any, like I always kept writing uh, even if I wasn't doing it for class. And so how did, because as a young person, you were reading a lot. Did your reading habits change at all when you kind of hit uh, adolescence, middle school, high school time? Yeah, totally. So I, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, I've been finishing up my MFA in writing for children and young adults at Hamlin University and thinking about, you know, 
that kind of switch where uh, teachers stop teaching age group books and start teaching like quote unquote real books. Like once you achieve the reading level, they suddenly decide that it's not worth your time to be reading like YA in the classroom. Uh, you have to start reading like Charles Dickens or whatever, which I mean, like people should. Um, but it's also kind of a shame because, you know, the real purpose of those writing classes or those English classes is to teach you how to do critical analysis and just think about language. And as long as a book is good, like you could do that. Um, so I definitely I, I think once I got to high school, the reading load increased and I had to read stuff that was not YA, you know, unless you count like The Catcher in the Rye, but I wouldn't. Um so I, I had to sort of flip a switch, uh, but I did have a really good um, creative writing teacher who taught an elective I took my sophomore year who had us read like, it was a short story writing class. We had to read Raymond Carver, who I'm still not crazy about to this day, although I realized that he's masterful at that art. But he gave us um, Kelly Link's short story collection, Magic for Beginners. And I think that was kind of when I came back to realizing that like, oh, maybe the stuff I read for class can also be good and like speak to me as a 16 year old girl, um, cause her stories, you know, they're, they're sort of fantasy speculative, but also playing with form in a way that makes them feel kind of dreamy and cool. And I just remember one mentioned Buffy, the vampire slayer. And like, it had not occurred to me that a short story, which I thought was like a very buttoned up form could know that there was such a thing as Buffy, the vampire slayer. So, um, so after that, I think I, I started to kind of integrate reading more, but, uh, yeah, I think I, I read a lot less in high school than I'm proud to admit. Uh, I, I'm impressed when, you know, these teenagers who are devotees of their favorite YA series can keep up with them because, like, I can't even do that now. So then what made you, after high school, want to go and study medieval literature? Or, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> let me restate that because it was medieval history. It wasn't sure. medieval literature. You know, it was kind of both. I mean, I it was a degree in medieval studies, which is a real thing. Um, but it, it was really, I mean, it was motivated by the fact that I wanted to read a lot and I wanted to study a lot of languages, um, both of which, you know, when it's this kind of, at least where I went to school, the program was very kind of pick and choose holistic because it's, it's interdisciplinary by nature. So I was like, yeah, let's do French and German and Old English and Old French and just like keep piling them on. Um, and so I really just wanted to read a lot. But like going, like rewinding way back, I, in fifth grade, read um, Karen Cushman's Catherine Called Birdie, which is, you know, this marvelous and smart and funny historical fiction diary novel from the perspective of, I think she's 12 or 13, a girl named Catherine living in the 14th century, maybe the 13th century. Um, and it's just, it's so um, lively, but also uh, having reread it now after doing all this history work in undergrad, it's it's fairly accurate. I mean, it's hard to write accurate historical fiction for 12-year-old readers because it's just complex to sort of translate to them. But she did such a great job and still told a good story. And I think it just captured my imagination. And uh, for some reason, I just carried it all the way through to my undergrad. And so then were you able to kind of squeeze out other than kind of the medieval history stuff? Were you able to squeeze out any personal reading during those college years? Yeah, I, um, I did sort of take a brief, uh, detour into romance writing and reading because, um, I don't know. I just, I became aware of it in high school and I was like, well, this is fun and not in a condescending way, but you know, it was nice to remember that books could be fun. 
Um, so I, I read a lot of that my first couple of years, but then, uh, honestly, I, I think it was like John Green's incipient fame that kind of drew my attention back to YA, which I had never stopped liking, but I wasn't sort of up on who was coming out. Um, and also I, some of the romance blogs that I really liked reading, like smart bitches, trashy books, which is great, uh, would also cover YA. So I would read stuff as, you know, they'd review it and I'd pick it up too. But, um, Definitely, definitely once the senioritis kicked in, I was reading a lot more. And so at the same time then, where did your writing fit in? Where was that at? I, you know, sometimes I miss college because I feel like once you were out of class, your time was your own. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd come home after class and just sit down and write for the day. I did NaNoWriMo a couple times. Uh, I think I only like succeeded uh twice maybe once I've, I've won it twice total and I think just once in college but um you know it was one of those things that I just liked to do so much that I mean I had to force myself to finish projects but it never felt like another chore to load on after doing all my schoolwork and extracurricular stuff so um you know I just would take my laptop wherever and I mean great thing about college campuses is like you are not wanting for places to work where you don't have to buy a coffee first. Like you can just go to the library all the time. And during that time, how serious were you taking your writing? Uh, what did you envision? Were you just kind of writing to write to express yourself? Or did you have uh, bigger dreams with the things that you were writing at that time? I, I always wanted to be published. Um, I had been reading about the publishing process since uh, since I started looking into romance, I had a bunch of like how to get your romance novel published because I thought it would be easier to publish a romance novel because uh, I thought they weren't that good. But then I discovered A, they're good and B, like I'm 17 and I've never had a boyfriend. Like I don't think I'm qualified yet. So, um, but I did, I did always want to get published, but I recognized that like maybe break it down into smaller steps, I should finish something first. <laughs> so that was kind of my goal. And I think I just wanted to... Uh, get a feel for what it takes to complete a manuscript because, you know, I, I guess it's, I've never run a marathon, but I assume that, you know, once you've run that distance, you just kind of have mentally mapped it to like what it takes for you to do it. And then theoretically, if you go back and do it again, it's like muscle memory. So, um, so that was pretty much my goal. And, you know, I, I was of course like, I, I finished a draft and be like, great, let's query agents, which I never ended up doing, but it took me a long time to sort of appreciate the, the uh, intensity needed in revision to get something submission worthy. And so after college, then you have a degree. What do you, what do you decide to do then? Well, uh, <laughs> so the first thing I did was I had a summer internship in New York um, working in a newspaper. So that was great. Uh, I decided I really could not be a journalist because I uh, I got way too involved in emotional stories and got really sad. Um, so I really admire journalists. I also was just like bad at fact checking, which is kind of important. So uh, as soon as that was up in like September, I took the money I had saved because I had a paying internship, which was crazy. Um, and I moved to Montreal for four months and I didn't have a job because technically I was there as a tourist and I wrote pretty much like three hours a day. What were you writing? Well, I had started a book in undergrad 
um, based on the legend of Tristan and Isolde, because I was like, oh, this is so medieval. I was reading it in a you know medieval French seminar. I was like, and it's very like YA appropriate. So I was trying to retell it and I did, um, I completed it, uh, but it was, it was a long slog. And again, like I was still getting the hang of finishing a project. Um, but then uh, the second book I wrote was actually the first draft of Who's That Girl? Okay. And that brings us, so this is then kind of <laughs> perfect segue. First... It is a perfect segue. Uh, so when was that? When was, when did you first start? Who's that girl? That was uh, NaNoWriMo in 2012. So um, it was it was a different era. I remember I had to send my absentee ballot in um, from Canada because I obviously wasn't in there in person to vote. And uh, the giant, I think it was Sandy, right? It had just happened. So I was late printing it out and I took it to the post office. And I was like, do you think this will get there by Tuesday? And the lady was like, which means like there was a big storm dummy and i was like oh sorry so anyway um so yeah it was 2012 and so give us a brief sort of synopsis of what who's that girl is about uh well who's that girl is about natalie who's a junior in high school and she discovers that uh, a boy she knew from high school has graduated and written a song called natalie that's getting really popular uh, and she can't quite figure out if it's about her or not because she didn't know this guy super well, but he was like the cute boy that everyone liked and she can't decide if she wants it to be about her or not. Um, and then there's all sorts of wacky hijinks with her friends and family going on at the same time. And so what was sort of your initial idea that started you on this book? I'm always sort of fascinated by these songs about, uh, people who are, you know, they become nationally famous, but we don't know who this person is. Um, and sometimes, you know, songwriters write songs about composite figures. But uh, I remember when I was in high school, reading an interview with the lead singer of um, the All American Rejects, if you remember that band, maybe they're still around. Yeah. But um, he said that their first album was basically all about his high school girlfriend dumping him. And then it came out and a lot of the songs got really popular and she was just super embarrassed. Uh, and I always thought like, oh, God, that's got to suck. Like, I hope no one ever does that to me. Um, and then a few years later after that, when I was still in high school, that song, Hey There, Delilah, was everywhere. So like, right. you know, the sort of cultural mythos had just built upon itself. And uh, and yeah, I'm not sure why it came back to me at that moment. But I thought like, wouldn't that be funny, you know, if that happened to you and you're like this nerdy 17 uh, year old girl. And so 2012, you start this for NaNoWriMo. What made this book or this story different from your other attempts at NaNoWriMo? Um, I think I had a real clear sense from the beginning of both like what the main plot was going to be and then also what the side plots were going to be. Um, I didn't feel like I was making as much up as I went along. Like I had plotted out a lot, not like in an outline, but just sort of mentally before I started writing it. Um and so I think having two plots with two kind of specific goals to them uh, just helped me, you know, like uh, weave back and forth between threads as I was writing. So I'd write one scene from one and one scene from the next. Um, and I also just I liked the voice uh, and I felt like it was fun to write something that didn't feel belabored, you know, like not that I wasn't trying hard at it, but it just it came very naturally and that made it fun. And when things are fun to write, they're easy to finish. So you started this in 2012. It's 2017. It's finally going to get published. Uh, 
what was that kind yeah. of five year period like for you? What was what obstacles were getting in your way, mental or, or real life? Oh man, where do I, no, I'm kidding. Um, there were a couple things. I mean, for one, I didn't, I wrote 50,000 words, but I didn't actually finish it. So it was, I knew it was going to happen, but I had written two books in three months and I was like, I need a break. Um, so I just sort of took a, a breather um, before, and I also had to get back to the States because I ran out of money. But um, so I sort of put it on the shelf, uh, like four fifths completed. And in the meantime, I, I was querying the other book I had written. And so I, I got an agent and uh, we revised it and we went on submission with that. And then it didn't sell. So um, he and I were talking and he's like, well, do you have anything else? Like, wh what else have you ever written? Because um, he signed me for this one book. And uh, I said, well, I have this like, I guess it's a romantic comedy, but it's not done, but I can finish it. Um and then I had one day in February when it was like crazy, like blizzarding outside and I couldn't leave the house. So I wrote 11,000 words in one day so that I could finish this manuscript. Um, so this was probably early 2015. It was early 2015. So I, I finished it and I sent it to him. He's like, this is pretty good. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, so, uh, so that was really exciting. And then, you know, he sent it out to some editors and uh, we sold it a couple months later. Now, on top of, you know, your writing life, you also work at Quirk Books. Uh, and so mm -hmm. having to look at that side of sort of publishing in books, uh, has it informed or helped you kind of in your own writing journey to be published? Uh, for sure. Yeah, I, I think obviously it's not a prerequisite, but um, it's nice to know how books get made on the other side of the desk, as we say. Um, like, for example, you know, another chunk of that two-year time uh, or the remaining two years before the book came out after I sold it was that, like, just producing the physical object of a book takes a long time, which I didn't really appreciate till I started working as an editor. But you have to, you know, most of these are printed overseas. So there's, like, six weeks where it's just on a boat coming from China. <laughs> so, um, you know, when people hear you sold your book, they think it's going to come out, like, the next week. Uh, but it really, it does take time. And so that, that I definitely appreciate knowing. And I think, you know, it's funny. I always want to be like, I have seen authors through crises um, because always something always happens when you're editing a book that you don't anticipate. And, um, you know, I always try to be there for my authors and, and do as much sort of uh, guiding them through whatever happens as I can. But when I was the author, I was like, I'm going to be like, nothing will upset me. I will be unflappable. And then like, I don't really freak out over the same things and it's never a real crisis. And I think hopefully knowing that from the editorial side, I can like talk myself down um, and I hope my editor would agree, but um, it is, uh, it, it, I hope it sort of uh, does work in keeping me a little more even keeled. And also um, just generally being like, editors are busy. So like, I don't want to, um, I don't want to be the one sucking up all the attention. I know that if, if I ask them about something, they are working on it, even if, you know, it takes a while because, you know, publishing is complex and a lot of people have to get involved to make anything happen. So um, I, I hope it gives me patience knowing what uh, that part of the industry is like. And now that uh, Who's That Girl is about to come out, um, when you think back to yourself as a young adult, what do you think that uh, teenage Blair would have thought of your book? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, I think my my teenage self would be amused because 
she would be like, this is just my life. Like, obviously I was never the subject of a hip hop song, but um, the, the friends, none of the, the friends in the book are based on any specific person of my friends, but the whole sort of culture of it is very much like my high school, which was uh, a private school full of uh, sort of hippies and crunchy people and um, a lot of very eccentric characters. And, uh, and also the parents in the book are literally just my parents. Like they, every time I get a review and they think it's so funny when they love the reviewer loves the parents because my parents are like, yes, we are enchantingly eccentric. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you are. So, um, so yeah, I think my teenage self would be psyched about it. Uh, and, and also like I, I was one of those teenagers who like didn't like people who took writing super seriously. Um, so I think my teenage self would be glad that I wrote a book that is funny and not too angsty. You know, there's always this, what people I don't think realize in publishing is there's always this big kind of gap and you kind of alluded to it between when your book gets sold to uh, a publisher to when it finally comes out. Um, how, you know, obviously you had a job where you were working, but uh, can you describe like what are those little tasks and and is it easy to kind of move on to the next project while you're playing that kind of you know, waiting game between when sure. you sell it and when it's being released. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it's a long process. Um, you know, once you uh, get an offer, then your agent has to negotiate it. Then you have to wait for the contracts department to drop a contract. Then you have to sign the contract, send it back. Then, you know, you have to wait for an edit letter, um, which takes a long time because your editor has to reread the whole book and take notes. Uh, then you get it. Then you have to revise it. Then it goes back to your editor uh, and then it goes off to be copy edited and then you have to answer all the copy edit queries and then it goes back for another pass and you have to answer any remaining queries and then it gets flowed in by the typesetter and you look at page proofs where again you have to make sure that all the queries are answered um, and then it more or less leaves your hands and goes off to be printed as an arc then it arcs to people and try to get people excited about it you know then hopefully uh, you kind of just wait for your advanced copies to come in and to start on your like fun promotional blitz. Um, so uh, it's, it does uh, take about two years because it's uh, it's just a lot of stuff to get done. So you also mentioned earlier that you are finishing up your MFA and, you know, some people uh, that want to be writers kind of debate whether or not that's important for them. What have you gotten out of the process? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I think I applied to this program before I had sold the book and then I got in and then I sold the book. So I was like, all right. Uh, and, and people sort of were like, well, why are you bothering to get an MFA if you're already published? And I was like, well, A, now it'll be easier to pay for it. And B, uh, I don't want to write just one book. Like I want to write a lot of books. And, um, I, I think, you know, I, I'm always interested in talking about craft like i love craft and um i don't think writers get enough uh, of a chance to talk about it in depth at length in a really wonky way um except in an mfa program i mean conferences are great but they're short and i they can be hit or miss you know you don't always get exactly the session you're hoping for you may not necessarily even get like individual attention um, and then a lot of them are just so focused on the business side of publishing and selling. And I'm like, I know about that. Like, I'm not, I don't want to learn about it anymore. I kind of want to break from it occasionally. So, um, 
And I also just wanted to like go be with my people, which um, fortunately the program at Hamlin is just like, it's the best. People are always ask me, they're like, should I get an MFA? I'm like, I don't know, but if you do, you should go to Hamlin. Like, it's just, it's such a wonderful program. And the faculty are all so smart and so giving with their time and expertise. And, um, you know, the workshops, which most people think of MFA workshops as being these terrible places where like people just want to say catty things about your books or your stories and tear you down. Not at all the case. It's really helpful and encouraging and people get excited about your work, which, you know, if you spend a lot of your time writing by yourself and maybe you have critique partners, but they're on the internet, seeing people react to your stuff in real time is just like, it's the best. Like you can't, uh, you can't anticipate what it's going to be like until you do it. So, um, so it's been great for all those reasons. And also I've just, uh, I've gotten to try new forms. Um, like I wrote, picture books for the first time, which uh, is definitely not something you can do in like a regular MFA program because you show up at like your fancy workshop with a picture book and you'll get like thrown out like people won't get it. Um, And it's a real it's a real art form unto itself. Um, Emily Jenkins, who is my advisor, said that uh, picture books are books for illiterates. They're books for people who can't read yet. Um, They are books that are designed to be read to someone. And uh, like it's so obvious, but it blew my mind. So, um, so I loved getting to do that in a place where I was like working with the cream of the crop. And, uh, and I actually just sold one of the picture books I wrote there, um, which I'm so like, I never thought I would sell a picture book. I never thought I would write one. So like, that is so cool. And what does your mom think of that? You sold a picture book. Uh, she's really excited. She's actually starting the program in July. So I'll be there to graduate and she's there for the beginning of her first semester. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's like so funny seeing both of our last names on the like dorm sheet and everything, but um, yeah, it's great. It's always been like a kind of family thing. Um, And, you know, I think everyone in my family is a storyteller. So uh, it's really cool to be able to share that with them. And what's the picture book going to be called? Yeah. The picture book is called Skulls and it's about skulls and um, how they're kind of misunderstood and not trying to be scary and really just do a lot of good things for you in your head. That's great. Now, as an editor, you've helped a lot of people uh, make their dreams come true. We'll say that they've had this mm-hmm. idea of a book and you've helped to develop and get it published. And so you've seen that side of things. Is it any different now that you're going through that same process? Not so much the behind the scenes editing and mm-hmm. revising and things like that, but the actual kind of, emotional like in the moment your book that you've been working on and this dream that you've had since you were you know eight ten years old that it's actually Mm -hmm. coming out have you allowed that to sink in yet uh yeah i mean yes and no it it is sort of crazy because um there's that gap you know between when you as the editor and certainly you as the writer like send off the final file to whoever handles it next which will be you know managing editorial or design or whatever. Uh, and then like, it becomes a book, like a thing you can hold, which uh, is just, it's so remarkable because, um, you know, even though we have eBooks and audiobooks, which are both great, there's something about just putting together a physical object with your words on these tiny sliced pieces of thin wood uh, and your name on the front. And so, yeah, it's a final moment of like holding it in my hands and just being like, psyched as all hell it's like there in a real thing that's great so a few questions as we sort of wrap up first one being what is your favorite movie that's based on a book 
Oh my gosh, that is a real hard question. Um, I guess I can't say 10 things I hate about you because that's probably a stretch in terms of like being based on a book. It's a little bit, but I like it. Yeah. And also I would probably have to put that at a tie with She's the Man, which is even less based on a Shakespeare play, but, um, (laughs) but they're both great. Um, You know, I really do like the uh, Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice. I think it's just, it's really atmospheric and I love the soundtrack and I like that they kind of set it uh, in a more, rustic like the Bennett's have this house that's like full of ducks and goats and like it's it's a little less buttoned up um but I also do love the uh the sense and sensibility that um uh Emma Thompson wrote and co-starred mm-hmm. in with Kate Winslet I just oh Emma Emma Thompson is amazing <laughs> she's so smart and funny and I think that is just such a great um adaptation of Austin book so uh, I really love that movie Okay, and that actually segues well to the next question because Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. Sense and Sensibility, they're both classic pieces of literature uh, that a lot of people love. Is there a similar piece of literature that's classic, it's well-read, it's canonized that you absolutely hate? Oh, that I hate? Wow. Um, it's funny. I So last summer I decided I was going to read Moby Dick because I was like, oh, I haven't gotten around to it. Um, and I went to the used bookstore near my office to pick it up and I found one the one copy they had. And the guy was like, ugh, that book sucks. You can just have it. And I was like, it does? Um, and I read it and I, I actually liked it. So that's not my answer to the question. But I do think it's funny that, you know, people have such strong opinions about these venerated books. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a huge fan of... Um, the kind of like, I mean, I know I said Raymond Carver before, which isn't fair because I, I know his stuff is good, but I just remember reading that in high school and being like, Bleh. like it, it felt like a slog. It just felt like all these bitter divorcees like staring into their mid-century kitchens. And I was like, I'm 15 and it's, you know, <laughs> 2005. This is so not relatable. So, um, but I, I actually haven't, I think by virtue of doing, an undergrad in medieval literature instead of English literature. I haven't read many, like I've never finished a Charles Dickens novel. I, I haven't read a lot of the things people think of as canonical because um, I, you know, I was reading stuff that was like super old. So sure. um, uh, I, I can't say that I'm like super crazy about Beowulf, but it's, it's sort of more the experience of like reading something that's that crazy ancient sure. almost. And in fact, that would probably be my answer if I had to answer this question with Beowulf. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Woody Allen has this quote um, where he's like, never take any class that teaches Beowulf. And I'm like, well, like Woody Allen, you're kind of a terrible person, but you may have a point. Um, <laughs> and I enjoyed studying it, but still, I was like, this is not for everyone and not always even for me. Sure. All right. So last question to sort of cleanse the palate. What's the last great book you read? Oh, man. Well, I just finished, I finally got it from the library, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which um, was so good. I mean, like everyone was saying it was good. So I was like, well, it's not going to be bad. But um, I just, I thought it was wonderful. Uh, And, um, you know, I hadn't, I actually hadn't read a YA novel in a long time. I sort of was reading a bunch of other children's genres and um, also just like books for grownups. And I was just like, oh yeah, like this is why I love YA. Like I love these narrators that have, such a sense of character and, you know, or in that teenage place of kind of being a kid, but also being an adult and, and dealing with stuff that is, uh, you know, adult sized problems, maybe for one of the first times. So uh, I just, I was blown away. I thought it was so good. Great. 
Well, thanks, Blair, for joining us for telling your story, and I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much. That does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You. Special thanks to my guest, Blair Thornburg. Be sure to check out her book, Who's That Girl? And if you wouldn't like to check out any of the other books she mentioned, go out and check some of the show notes at brockshelley.com, as well as any of the other episodes we've had. Thanks so much for joining me, and until next time, keep reading.